Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 28 for Wednesday, August 26, 2015. folks and welcome to gig gab the working musicians podcast here in durham new hampshire back in durham new hampshire i guess i, I should say i'm dave hamilton and still in las gatas california this is paul kent <laughs> i like it that's good i'm glad you're still there it's it's good to have consistency in the world paul <laughs> you gotta you gotta do yeah yeah so um uh, uh yeah i am back i spent the weekend in uh at a racetrack in watkins glen new york which was converted into uh, a fish's magna ball festival, which really became more of a, they really built like a whole city. There was like a store and vendors and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. And obviously campgrounds and a, and a concert venue even, um, and a 175 foot wide movie screen. That was, I saw cool. the picture you posted it. So they really, this is their love fest for their fans. huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's the 10th one that they've done, and uh, I've only made it to three of them because when they started doing festivals, we had already moved down to Texas, so um, so it just didn't make, you know, flying in an airplane to go somewhere and camp, I, I, I know people do it all the time. It, it really seems like a tough thing to, to organize to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you just want to pack your car full of all the stuff you're going to need when you're camping. So anyway, it, we didn't go to any while we were down in Texas, so yeah, we made it to three of them. So let me ask you, I, I still don't really grasp this whole fish phenomena. I mean, it's sure. obviously a long running thing. There's some crossover with what we here on the West Coast have with with uh, the Grateful Dead, you know, a couple generations removed. Um, is it is it like you you said you spent the weekend camping with a bunch of hippies? Yeah. Is it can you tell can you tell the hippies from the. The suits who are on a break from being a suit and uh, and uh, are are still closet hippies. I mean, is is there that vibe? And and is it a musician's thing? Is it you, you know the dead a little bit as well? Give me a little bit of an idea about how these these ideals of deadheads and, and fish fans cross over. Yeah, so I I started listening to Fish in 1993. Uh, so while the dead, while Jerry Garcia was still alive, and while the dead was still doing the the you know whatever the dead was doing. Right. And touring and, and, and all the things that they do. And, uh, and, and there, even at that point, there was a comparison made between fish and the dead simply because fish was this popular band who was building their following, uh, or building their, their, their business, if you call it that right Build, uh, based on their live performances that were full of lots of improvisation, full of surprises, they fish clearly, modeled a lot of what they do in terms of their organization around what the great, what, what made the grateful dead successful, right? You know, every show is different. Uh, improvisation is, is, um, is, is held in high regard, right? It's the thing that, that people do. They created some mystery about the the band. They had, you know, some backstories and things like that, that, that were interesting to fans, uh, and and they really catered to the taping community and all of that, right? I mean, they, they, it's it's 
I would be shocked if if somebody from Fish came out and said, "Gosh, you know, we just stumbled onto all of this. We never really thought about, you know, <laughs> the, 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 right?" I, and I, I think actually they've said quite the opposite that they really modeled their you know their business structure around the dead musically. I, I mean, I, I guess to me as a as certainly as a musician, there is very little. Uh, parallel between the two i mean they're both rock bands right you, you know but but to me the dead's rock and roll was more based in like like country and and folk and roots music uh whereas fish's rock and roll is based in like prog and classic rock uh and zappa zappa is a huge influence on on many of the guys in fish but so is like the who and 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 Miles Davis and things like that. So there's it's it's two different two really different things. And I I never really I never really cared for the the Grateful Dead. I don't I don't dislike them. I actually like their studio albums a whole lot more than their live albums. But I found their live improvisation to be I, I don't want to I don't want to insult anyone who really likes it because there's nothing wrong with liking it. But for me it it was never. I come from more of the jazz school of improvisation, right? Where, where musicians are listening to each other and reacting and the dead seem to always just be, you know, a, a bunch of separate people doing their own thing. And occasionally it would come together and be really magical. And there were some, some good moments, but they needed it. I was, my comment was they always needed a producer live and fish has that, right? They, they're constantly evaluating what they're doing. And, and, and so their, their style of improvisation appeals to me being a, you know, a jazz guy and a prog rock yeah. guy and, and all that stuff. But, um, but the, the, the scene, because of the way fish organized things, certainly was a a comfortable set of surroundings for someone who was into the dead. Whether or not you liked the music, well, you had to figure that out for yourself, right? If, if you came over from the dead to fish, you know, maybe you liked the music and you stuck around and maybe you didn't. But certainly the scene was very similar. And then when when Jerry Garcia passed and that scene needed a place to go a large chunk of it just moved right on over to fish. And I think a lot of them, you know, were kind of already there and, and interested in any way. Um, but it was, what was really interesting in the early days was seeing fish play on nights when the dead was playing somewhere else, relatively close by. And you got to see who the real fish fans were. And, and you're right. They were total geeks, um, you know, music nerds, math nerds right not to say that, not to say that there weren't those types of people at dead shows but that's all that was left at fish shows when the dead was you know within a few hours uh playing at the same the same night as as fish and but those you could say those fans who are into both bands what they need from their music is a sense of community that's the common denominator that, for both these things totally yeah and fish really used the internet um well in the beginning i mean even in 1993 which was pre-web right you know uh certainly pre-web in fact i think pre-web for anyone but uh certainly pre-web for the masses rec.music.fish was a very popular news group and it was the way the, the way we as fish fans all communicated with each other and traded tapes and and all of that and there was rec.music. I think g dead or rec.music.dead I forget which one it was but and, you know they were doing it too but um but fishnet was really a thing and and a huge part of of you know what kept that community together when 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 they slash we were apart so, but yeah you're absolutely right that sense of community is is there and that's it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's really nice to go to a festival like this and know that 
you know, for the, I mean, I'm sure there's some bad eggs, right? Cause you know, whatever you get uh, somewhere between 30 and 50,000 people, the numbers haven't come out yet. I think it's closer to 30, but um, yeah, you get 30,000 people together. There's going to be some moron, but for the most part, everybody, you know, takes care of each other and that's cool. And all that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you met any of the guys? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think we, we wound up backstage a couple of times early on, like in 94 and we met, um, at that point we met everybody. I don't think I've ever met Trey Anastasia, but I've met the other three guys. Um, and then I've, we run into Paige McConnell. He actually was at a gig that my daughter's jazz band played in Burlington. They, they played for mm. Burlington kids day and he was there with his family. And, uh, so we, we recognized him and the kids, you know, we said hi to him and he was like, wow, are you the kids in that jazz band? He was really cordial. And he's like, thanks for coming to our town. You guys are great. And so, I mean, we've met him, but you know, not, yeah, yeah. we're not having dinner with him or anything. And they are, they are a new England would be their base that, you know, like if you were to say San Francisco is the dead's base, new England is the home of fish Burlington, Vermont. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get 175,000 people loving you you know, over 10 years, you know, coming to your thing and, you know, you're building little cities for your fans to enjoy your, yeah. your, your vibe. That's actually remarkably cool. And fish has been really smart about it. You know, their ticket, they, they've kept their ticket prices really low, especially in comparison, you know, for a long time, the, they had this, I don't know if it was an official or unofficial rule, but their ticket prices just wouldn't go above 50 bucks. Um, and then finally, I think the venues sort of pushed them above that and pushed them to 60 and at that point, Fish said, OK, fine. But what we're going to do is all you do is after the show, you take your code, you know, your barcode number from your uh, from your ticket and bring it to our live website and we'll let you download a copy of the show for free, which otherwise would have cost 10 bucks. And because they know they you know, they want to keep prices low because they know they, they don't have a huge following. They just have an intensely loyal following. Huge enough to make it, a living. Oh, it's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're making a they're making a, a, a very good living. I'm sure they're all multimillionaires. In fact, many times over, right? But but they, you know, they're not. They don't have the appeal of of say the Rolling Stones or Bruce Springsteen or you know. I mean, they their 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 fan base does not stretch that wide, and so they know that they've got to cater to these people that want to come to multiple shows. And if you're charging somebody two hundred and fifty bucks a ticket. For each show, they're not going to make it to that many. But and the love is flowing both ways. I mean, obviously, totally. they're committed to to doing good things for their fans, and their fans are committed cr- fanatically, fanatically to supporting yes. them. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's that's yeah. a great story. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So, um, so the festival was good. It weather totally cooperated. It rained the first like night when we got there, uh, and then and then it was like perfect, beautiful weather the rest of the time. Cool at night, warm during the day. It couldn't have been any better. So. So, hey, you uh, you just happened to mention Bruce Springsteen, which I think I've mentioned a few times on the show before. I did. I did mention Springsteen. Something there was there was some little hubbub about him this week. There was yesterday was the 40th anniversary of the release of Born to Run. That's amazing. And just about every publication in the country covered that event in some way, which was really kind of cool. USA Today actually had a, you know, why Bruce Springsteen is not relevant anymore article, which is kind of interesting. But overwhelmingly, it was like a, uh, you know, a flood of, of, you know, that's a seminal album. I mean, oh, you know, totally. It's, it's my number one. And, and uh, I don't remember where it was on Ro- Rolling Stones all time list. But, you know, it was one of those albums that sticks with people that, uh, you know, I was 15 when I discovered it. It had been out for two years when, when I got into it. And, um I I posted on Facebook today that 
it formed me, you know, that mm. everything about that album, how, how a guy holds a guitar, how, you know, that, that capture in that moment when you're a teenager and, and listening to something in the dark in your room on headphones and the, and the words flooding over you and kind of shaping your view of art and, you know, your desire to want to do something with music and just so many things, just thinking about 40 freaking years ago. And here's a context that I use. That was 40 years ago. Still, you know, seems pretty fresh to me when I was born world war two was only about 18 years before just right. to kind of, right. Which is crazy to think in terms of, you know, we always say time, time flies, but yeah. you know, for something that was done 40 years ago today, you can still listen to it. It sounds fresh. It sounds, it's different. You know, you're not, you're not 15 with angst. You're, you're, you're 50 with, with, uh, with a life with, yeah. Well, yeah. Perspective. I yeah. Guess, right? There you go. I was going to say a lifetime of experiences, but that perspective is the right word. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, the, and the art translates it. So, so it was, it was really cool. And, and I, I spun born to run two or three times yesterday just to, just to enjoy it. And, you know, think about that, this thing that is such a, such a big part of my life. Yeah. You know, I, it's a, I mean, I think it's a big part I, and I know it's, I, I, I know for you, it's a very special thing, but I think it's a big part of, any music fan's life, perhaps not, not to the same degree. Right. I mean, if, if it just, if it's not your favorite band, but, um, but I mean, that, that there, there are a lot of things that stemmed from that and changed from that. And well, there, a lot of people say, you know, punk rock actually came from that, believe it or not, you know, it, it, whereas in the mid seventies, there was, there certainly was some rock and roll still, but you know, disco was happening and, and, and uh, the sound of music was nothing like that. Right. And to write, to write kind of like these street level songs that um, were very urban and, and kind of youth angst. Uh, a lot of people trace trace um, punk back to that record as well. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, a lot of things would not have happened the same way without that album. Yeah. And including, about, including New Jersey, not picking it as their state song, which yeah. always sort of made me scratch my head, but you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, I'm not sure the message was what they intended, but I, I get it. You know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but anyway, so that was that was a, that was a big thing, and, yeah. and it was kind of fun to see it all over. You know, most news feeds yesterday, and and uh, people kind of weighing in on it in, in all ways. And again, you know, like any good piece of art, it, you know, there's a lot of different perspectives. There's not a universal. Um, not a universal thumbs up the story about how Bruce almost threw it away. He was so sick of it because they toiled and toiled and toiled on yeah. his album. And uh, he said he couldn't even listen to it objectively anymore. And he was just sick of it. Thought it was the worst piece of garbage he'd ever heard. And he almost threw it away and just gave up, not gave up music, but, right. but, uh, but yeah, trash you know. the, the work. Yeah. And the whole story about, you know, the first album did okay, but it was hyped so much. The second album did really poorly and he was really on his last leg. And uh, you know, he just put everything into it. I, J- Jimmy Iovine once said that third albums are, are kind of the magic point for people. Like, like Damn the Torpedoes is a third album. Um, you know, Born to Run is a third album. And there's a lot of other examples where, you know, the first album are songs that an artist has that he's been playing for 10 years. Right. right, right. You know, they're, they're his first batch of originals. Then he gets a record. And the second album is hard because you got to come up with something that's as good as those songs that you've perfected for so long. And then then by the third album, you actually have experience of how to make albums and, and, uh, and do that type of well, thing. You, third you hope are, you have experience. I mean, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, if you don't, you go one way. If you do, you go the other way. I That's guess. right. Well, I've always said um, that 
that the third song of a set of music is the most important song. Right. Why is that? Well, you know, because you're coming out, you're playing your, your set. Uh, you start your first song. It's a warm up. If, if it's not a warm up for the band, if you've had the opportunity to sound check, you know, that's great. But a lot of times, you know, with gigs, you don't really have a full sound check. Maybe you do line checks or whatever. So your first song's a warm up, at least for the crowd and perhaps for you as the band. The second song, you're kind of getting your legs. Everybody's still giving you a chance. By the third song, man, that's when you got to deliver. And that's when you got to hook them and show them what you got and bring them in. It's actually more important to me than the first song. That's my theory. You know, that that's a very interesting, you know, we've, we've done set lists sort of, but this is, that's really interesting. I mean, I will agree with you. I usually have really, really high hopes for a first song and, but you often realize that you've got a little bit of work to do to even things out on a first song. Like if you're playing a festival, yeah, and you, you know, you have 15 minutes to set up. You probably want to be a little bit cautious, no matter how ambitious you are about that first song. And we, you know, we've, over time, you know, when we have a good sound check. I know we can come out with a strong first song, but yeah. also it's, it's the time of day of the gig. You yeah. know, is it a, is it a one o'clock festival gig and, and the musicians aren't really awake yet? Yeah. You know, is it, is it a closing slot where your energy is high and the audience is high? That's really interesting. So third songs, I usually like to do three songs bunched together to start a set, to that's start a, a good, first set. That's a good idea. I, yeah, I, um, I, I get it, right? Because you want to have you want to just flow for for three songs. Bill. Yeah, yeah. I, my only concern, I usually do one, and then two, three, four, because if there's a problem, right? You know, if 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 in fact you didn't get a proper sound check, that first song, if you've got to flow for three songs before you really have an opportunity to fix anything, that can be a problem. Mm. So I, you know, it, I almost treat the first song as a sound check. Um, in, in a way, I mean, not, you know, you're not staring at your shoes or anything I mean, you're outperforming, but, um, but yeah, there's, there's risk to me that maybe you haven't, ex- maybe I'm overthinking this, you know, cause I overthink everything, but that's, that's how it goes. <laughs> Hey, um, so I, you know, I've seen a bunch of shows lately. Uh, obviously we saw these fish shows this weekend. I saw some other fish shows in, in, uh, in, uh, Philadelphia when we were there, but right prior to seeing those, I saw my very first country concert. And, uh, and, and, and throughout these shows, I've actually learned a bunch of things And I, I've always felt that as a musician, it's primarily, it's important to ply your craft, but it's also important to enhance your craft. And, and part of that is practicing, but part of it's listening to music and going, see, going to see other people that do what it is that you do, or perhaps in a different way at a different scale, sure. you know, and, and, and I've always called things like to me, music lessons, and going to see bands, be it at a local bar or, you know, eight hours away at a festival, uh, it, that to me, that's all at some level, there's professional development in there for me as a musician. Right. And, and so as we've, as we've seen these, you know, you know, I've been doing this show <clears throat> and as I've seen these, these shows, these, these, you know, over the last month here, I've taken note of some of the things that I've sort of absorbed and, um, Seeing Brad, Brad Paisley was the concert that we saw the first country concert. Uh, and that was, I don't know, three weeks ago or something like that. And he put on, it, it was really an amazing show. Uh, he's far more of a rock and roll player than, than 
than a you know than most country players are right so so there was certainly that there but isn't isn't modern country kind of rock and roll with hats i mean it yeah there you can't really trace modern except for the vibe and, and kind of a tone to the lyrics yes the sound of the bands are are really very very pristine very precise rock bands i've always said if the eagles were to have started today we would call them a country band Sure. But back then they were, you know, that was not country. It was country inspired rock and roll. But that, you know, that's as far as the country world was willing to embrace it. Right. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And and this was a rock show by every standard. Uh, but but it was an interesting rock show. It reminded me more of a Disney rock show than anything else. Uh, and not in a bad way. I've seen I mean, I, I've been super impressed with some of the Disney rock shows. And when I say Disney rock shows, I, I mean, Acts like Hannah Montana and the Jonas Brothers that, that I saw with my kids, you know, when they were younger, but they put on fantastic shows, but it was so well organized. I, I mean, just like timed to a T, uh, you know, everything happened at the moment it was supposed to. There was no, you know, well, the show's supposed to start at 730. So, you know, 815 sounds good. You know, there was none of that. If it's supposed to start at 730, man, by 735, that, you know, that place is rocking. <laughs> and uh and everything was just well coordinated the sound was really good we we were in the pit for brad paisley and uh and i i thought of you actually because uh we were close enough that his guitar amps were what we heard for his guitar um it, we heard vocals out of the kind of out of the the array the mains but not much of his guitar in those at least not mm. the not the speakers that were aimed at us i'm sure for the people in the back they were getting his guitar from those but uh, his guitars, especially he had this one Telecaster, man, and it sounded so good coming out of his amp. He had it. I think it was coming out of a Marshall, but it might have been a Vox at the time. Uh, he had several different amps on stage and it was difficult to tell which which he was using. But I actually I think it was coming out of a Marshall, just the way it sounded. And I, and I say this and, and the sort of the thought that came to mind uh, that made me think of you and, and our show here, Paul, was that as a drummer, I have to it's and my guess is you you probably have this relationship with snare drums uh, as a drummer. I have to hate all guitar amps because they're always just too loud and and it, they're always problematic. But in reality, there's actually some guitar tones that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and his telly was so creamy and like chunky and, and full, but not overbearing. And it and he's a great player. I mean, I, you know, a lot of it comes from your hand he's an incredible player holy crap he's an incredible player and he had you know he had all the country licks right because he has to but then he'd get into a solo and i heard like a lot of eric johnson style stuff (laughs) coming no seriously like like the scales that he was playing really reminded me a lot of of eric johnson stuff certainly some some david gilmore ish type stuff coming out of him uh and definitely some eddie van halen coming out of that guy uh so my my uh understanding of this whole country genre now so first of all i think what we're calling country it's very cool to me in how much people are really really dedicated to country music as a as a vibe so country music fans are unbelievable to me yeah i mean you know when a big and show comes to town kind we i mean we were in the pit with a lot of drunk people right yeah i mean really you know these people there were three bands that played we only saw two we got there kind of halfway through the second band and uh they were more polite than I've seen fish fans be in the pit at some fish shows. 
That's I mean, interesting. They were so nice. They were hammered. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, but I would have thought that you would still have a little bit of that, you know, kind of fake faux redneck thing going and you know trouble could be around the corner i I was worried about that because i went with my wife and my you know 15 year old daughter and so i was you know it's certainly aware and and present you know in case anything happened man they could not have been nicer i was totally blown away yeah it was great it you know i've always felt country music is wholesome and and that's like the word that comes to mind and and certainly that 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 reaffirmed it but go ahead there is a there's a total vibe about you know the big shows that come through here taylor swift just came through northern california yeah Um, luke bryan you know a bunch of these guys really really big country stars they sell out you know the football stadiums Mm. here you know 2500 miles from from nashville country music fans are 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 probably the, the they make that genre of music just really amazing. I mean, I just, I just love how people get dressed up, you know, in their country stuff to go to see these concerts. It mean the music means so much to them, which is really awesome to see. Yeah. And so, and then again, I think the whole vibe of it, you know, kind of, kind of like it's just another flavor of what we're talking about, about fish. There's kind of totally. this, this community, which is, which is really cool. But it, my, my guess is like, like I, one, and one of the guys who plays in one of my bands is a hardcore country player. And uh, he's in his in his uh, he might be in his early sixties now. He's a crazy great pedal steel player, and uh, he's in a band, one of the few bands in Northern California that is kind of George Strait old style country. Yep. And all the guys that are backing up this guy um, are are you know they're in their fifties or sixties because there's not that many guys under that playing playing pure country. That's right. The guy who's the head of the band, whose name is on the band, is 26. And he grew up with this music. And, and it's yep. funny because my buddy says, if this guy ever gets a record deal, and actually the guy has three or four records out, and the players on his album are all Nashville cats. And my buddy says, you know, if this guy ever breaks or, or goes on tour, you know, they'll all be out of a job because they'll have to fill the band with these younger guys from Nashville in order to make this guy sellable. And he's quite aware, you know, it's a funny, like running joke between us. But the point is, I have this perception, you're talking about Brad and the, you know, the quality of, of, of his playing and probably the quality of all his band. That's, uh, you know, right now, isn't that where the musicians are, right? I know so many rock and roll players who go there, so many songwriters who relocate to that area. Yep. Because it's just, uh, that's the music hotbed of the country now, isn't it? Totally. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And, you know, Brad Paisley's guys, of course, he's, you know, he's not he's not the new kid on the block, um, but he's not that old. Right. I mean, he's he's been doing this for 10, maybe 15 years. Right. I mean, it's it's not like he's been doing this for 30 and his his band was not young. Uh, most of the guys in his band, I would say, were older than he was. Oh, yeah. His drummer, especially. Uh, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Fantastic drummer. But um but definitely, you know, the oldest guy on stage without interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but your, your friends are, you know, that may be the exception that proves the rule, right? Your friends are probably right. And in order to sell this guy, they're going to, you know, make everybody young and, 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 and sellable and, you know, baby pretty. pieces pretty. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, you, you said something, you said, you know, to these country fans, you said the songs mean something. And it's totally true, right? That the lyrics mean something. They, the songs tell a story that resonates with these people. And one of the benefits of that for someone, I'm not, I certainly am not a country fan. Obviously, I don't hate it. I, I, I like it. I've played it. But I, I don't listen to it all the time. 
But um, but one of the benefits for everyone that goes to the shows, including, you know, someone like me, who's a picky musician, is because the songs mean something to people, they have to ensure that the sound for, for the concert is pristine. You know, you can't have this thing where you, you know, like you might at a rock show where the vocals get a little bit buried by the, you know, the, the distorted guitars and the bass because they want to fatten it up a lot. No, the vocals live among, you know, higher than everything else. Everything else yeah. is, is nice and tight and clean and clear. And I, and I really, I, I appreciate that. You know, I saw, um, I saw, obviously I saw fish and their sound is the same way. You know, their, their vocals always cut through and, and every instrument cuts through. They just don't overdo anything. Um, I saw rush and, and rush is one of my favorite bands. Uh, and, but their choice in how they sound live, which is how they've always sounded is to have a really, really thick fat sound. And sometimes that means that the vocals get a little bit buried, and it's just, I know that's intentional. I know it's not, you know, a, a lack of attention by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, it's just that style of music. And it's a little frustrating sometimes it's like, oh, you know, you guys could tighten this up, but it's just not their thing, right? It's, it, this is what they want. This is, this is what it's always been for Rush. And so that's, you know, that's what you get. Mm. But, um, uh, yeah, I like the, uh, I like, you know, my buddy's the sound guy for Russia. I, I do. I know. I know your buddy. In fact, I met him at, at one of the shows. I, I'd love to get him on here and have him talk to us about, about some of that stuff. I think it'd be great. But like I said, I mean, I, I'm, I, I know I've seen rush since before he started doing the sound and it's, it's always been that, I mean, the vocals are there, but they could be, a, you know, a huge notch above, but it's just not what it's not their sound, right? It's not the way their records sound. It's not any of that, it's, it, which is, it's fine. It's just, but in country, you're right. It, it's about the story. It's about yeah. the, it's about the vocals and they do. Yeah. And, and the playing is pristine and generally the sound is pristine. Yes. I mean, yes. cause it's a lot of clean guitars as well. I mean, you know, they, they may, they may push them on solos and stuff, but that's the thing about a lot of, you know, Paisley in particular, and a lot of those great, you know, Brent Mason and a lot of the country pickers, I mean, they know how to play clean. They know how to play crazy fast. They know the magic of letting open strings ring while they're playing other things. And so the guitar, you know, and that's, that's a, that's a, that's a thing. It's a, it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm getting sad talking about this, thinking I better go practice. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? You go see these amazing musicians like, God, screw you guys, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I practice just as much as you do. No, but we don't. That's the thing, you know? Um, You're right. I I mean, there's no way, right? You know, um, I, it, so uh, while we're on the subject of sound, I, I learned something perhaps unintentionally and perhaps I'm wrong about this. In fact, I'd like, I know we've got some sound engineers that listen. I'd, I'd love to hear some feedback on this. I've never quite understood the value of the mic on the underside of a snare drum in a live scenario, right? It's always seemed like, gosh, you know, there's all these other mics around. What, what in God's good green earth is that going to, what purpose is that going to serve? And it wasn't until Fish's second set of their whatever seven set weekend and they came out and that mic was too hot. And, and I, and it took me a little while to figure out which mic it was because I never realized what purpose it served. It, the drums and everything were just like almost too present. In fact, it was overdriven a little bit, which was, which was the problem. But what it made me realize was that under snare mic really gives 
not just the drums, but the entire stage, some real, real uh, sparkle, if you will, because it's the only mic that's aiming up right at, at all of this stuff. And drums, of course, make sound in, in all these directions. So you've got everything really close mic'd, and then you've got a mic over the top of the drum set. But that's the only one that's aiming up at everything. And it really picks up a lot of what's coming through. It picks up a lot of what's coming in from the, the drummer's monitor. Because at first I thought, oh, the guitar, there was something wrong with the guitar. But it wasn't something wrong with the guitar. It was that the under snare mic was so hot that the monitor feed for the drummer was bleeding into that mic and and making it sound different because that's not the mic that you're used to hearing the guitar from. You know, you're used to hearing the guitar from the mic that's on the amp. And so it really makes the live show feel and sound more live as opposed to this really tight, close thing. Or at least that's that's what I experienced all weekend. And they they dialed it back. They they got it under control. It took them a while. Um but uh but I would love to hear thoughts from from people that actually know, you know, and have been trained about this stuff as opposed to me who just stands there and, and, you know, <laughs> listens, but, but these are the things I learned, right? Like if I was going to do sound for a band, uh, I would put a mic under the snare drum. If it was more than, I mean, in a little club, maybe, maybe not, but depending on, you know, depending on how much reinforce in a lot of, in a lot of little clubs, you're not going to be reinforcing the drums much anyway, you know, maybe a little bit of kick drum and, and a sparkle, but, but, you know, that was my thought was, gosh, if it, you know, if I was in a club, where I needed kick drum and maybe a little bit of snare, I might actually opt for the under snare mic before I would even go with the over snare mm. mic. Yeah, because it just it really adds that sparkle. It you know the snares buzz from everything, and and in the studio you work really hard to avoid that buzz. But I think live some of that buzz actually is what makes it feel like a cohesive real. yeah present. feel real present yeah exactly yeah yeah. It was really fascinating. It, it was frustrating at first. It's like, what is wrong with the sound? And once I figured it out, I'm like, I want to run over to the sound guy and tell him, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he was too far away. It wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. There were too many people between us. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure he would have appreciated that. Day. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he would have really, really liked that. That's right. <laughs> Thankfully I have the sense not to, uh, you know, not to Thankfully. be that guy. Yeah, exactly. But uh, or I'd be doing the show solo. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, by now they probably would have let me out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but it's, you know, it's interesting. Like I said, going to see all these bands and stuff, you learn, you learn a lot, even when you're not, even when you're not intending to, you know, you go to have a good time, but definitely doing what we do, it's impossible to ignore all that's going on, including the the little technical aspects. I, I think I'm more of a sound geek than you are. Uh, but, uh, but you know, you just, you can't help but pay attention to this stuff. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Hey, I want to tell you about, um, I had an interesting gig this weekend. We played a wedding and it was a lovely wedding. Bride and groom were fantastic. The wedding party was awesome. The party was fantastic. I mean, just, I, I actually, the thing I don't like about playing weddings is the amount of time that it typically takes that you have to be there. But this one, I kind of walked in about an hour before and, and was able to leave just as soon as it was done. So it was kind of like almost oh, you know, nice. any other gig. It was very nice. But a lot of times, you know, you have to set up and get out of the way while the ceremony or setup or happens or whatever like that. This wasn't like this. It was pretty. But aside from that, the wedding, um, we had some friends who have a really interesting original band and they played a set in between our sets. And it was their friends. The guys in this band were actually part of the wedding party. And um, 
they're awesome. And I just wanted to talk with they're, they're listeners of the, of uh, gig gab. And so, and, and interestingly enough, they were telling me that uh, when they go on tour, they listen to gig gab to kind of pass the time while they're, while they're driving between places on tour and they, they enjoy it. You know, they had some thoughts about it, but I wanted to talk about this band a little bit because it's a really interesting thing to me. It had me thinking, um, they play, uh, kind of their style would be draw a couple circles, put Tom Petty in one of them. I don't know if you know who Jackie green is in another one of them. You could actually put the Eagles off to the side a little bit, um, is one of them. Uh, I like Ryan Adams, uh, and the Cardinals, I think was a really, really great band. Uh, when Ryan Adams had the Cardinals with them, just the sound of that band. So kind of that American, you know, crunchy feel. These guys write, they write consistently very good songs and occasionally a great song. And they're really interesting to me. I think if they would have came out in the seventies, they would have been signed in the eighties. Maybe not that style, you know, certainly the nineties changed everything like that. But you know, they put out these records, they self-produce them. They they put them out. They spend, they, they, you know, they're a hardworking original band. They'll, they'll drive 400 miles down to LA for a, for a one-off, you know, they'll try and pick up a show halfway between here and LA on a one-off. They're interesting. So their, their lead singer, their front man has just enough attitude to be very compelling without being cocky. And sure. And, and, well, you and have jerk. to so exude confidence. Yeah. He exudes confidence, but he's just got a little bit of, he's just got a little air around him. The lead guitar player is a Berkeley guy, but he doesn't play like, you know, the, like Dude. there's a common rap. You know what I'm saying? There's like the, I spent, I spent months on the road with four Berkeley cats. I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> about. Yes. Well, here's the thing. He's, he's a Berkeley guy, but he, you know, he digs in really hard. He's very emotional on stage. He's got great tone, great taste. Again, he's a lead guitar guy. He's got a little yeah. bit of a little bit of an air to him, which is really cool. The drummer. I would, I would got, put Dave Brunyak in that category because he's a Berkeley guy, but he, you would not. I mean, if you look at his technique and stuff, you might say, uh, he learned that somewhere, you know, he clearly <laughs> studied, but, yeah. but he doesn't come across like the Berkeley, the, the traditional Berkeley nerd and, and not everybody I was on the road with did either, but, but some of them did. <laughs> but there is, there is a common understanding that there is that vibe from a lot of guys who come out of Berkeley. And it's, it's not just a, a harsh generalization. I, I have experienced it and it's more often true than not. Yeah. Well, there you go. The uh, drummer is a really interesting musician. He's, he's got a definite Ringo vibe. When you watch him, he mm. sings really, really well. He's got a great energy to him. Uh, the bass player, I just met him for the first time. I've known the rest of the guys for a little while, uh, but very solid musician. And in fact, for this gig, when they sat in on our stuff, he's left-handed and he played, he obviously has done it before, but he played my right-handed bass player's bass upside down and what? sounded great. Yeah. Dude. And then the keyboard player, <laughs> that's that's awesome (laughs) yeah the keyboard player is this very soulful cat you know he he and the and the lead guy was saying they're brothers they have this amazing brother harmony thing going like you know breasts in exactly the right place they have tom petty like tone you know it's not they're not like Pavarotti type yeah a little raspy and yep yeah a little twangy and stuff like that and like i said they write really really good songs uh and occasionally very special songs and they've got, I'm describing all these personalities. They put on a really good show. They're very passionate musicians. I think in any other era, they would have had a shot at something really interesting. In this era, they're, you know, like many bands, they have to work their tails off to get their music out there and get it heard. And, um, 
And, uh, you know, these guys in their 20s, and they're just very good students of, of rock and roll. You know, they, they, the two brothers sing so great together. The band puts on like a, a whole show that's a, a tribute to the Everly Brothers. Now, what 20 what year old musicians are doing that these days? Wow. They, yeah. I, I mean, they're good students of, of harmony, rock and roll. Really interesting. And, and so they set in, they, they played a great little mini set between our two sets. To me, they've got like, everything good songs great stage presence great work ethic that should have been a, a shorter path to a bigger audience and i think in one day and age it might have been but you know they love what they do and they seem very happy at it and you know they're making music and, and they're getting music out and they're you know they have a they attract an audience they have a following they move cds and, and good for them and everything like that it's just very interesting to me that you know again this visually interesting dynamic passionate good songs, rock and roll band. It's, it's, uh, it's just not what it was. I guess that's the big thing that I'm reflecting on. Yep. Yeah. And if you want to, like, I'd appreciate it. Put it in the notes. The name oh. of the band is the, the Coffis brothers, C O F F I S. And, uh, Jamie and Kellen are the, are the brothers keyboard and guitar. Kyle plays uh, lead guitar. Aiden, I think is the new bass player. And, um, um, Oh my God, I'm losing my mind here. The, the, the drummer, the one who is very Ringo like um, is, is uh, hold on a second. Forget his name. Henry, Henry. Uh, they're, they're really, really good and uh, definitely worth a listen to. And uh, you know, I guess if they got a few fans from around the world, from, from hearing about them here, I think that'd be pretty cool as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, we'll link to them. Well, so this was um, this was an interesting show. It was uh, if I if I had to title it, and I think I do because that's what we do when we when we put it out. It'd be something along the lines of uh, musicians are are some of music's biggest fans, right? Yeah, <laughs> something that's like cool. that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's who we are. It's it's why we do what we do, and it and it's true of the people that we go and see too, right? You, you know, I mean, I you know, I like I said, you know, I went and saw Rush and. And Brad Paisley and Fish and those guys are probably bigger music fans than most people on the planet. And that's why they do what they do, too. So, yeah, totally agree. So 28 episodes. We've been covering a lot of ground. We're coming to the end of summer. I got a few notes from people who are like, hey, where where is it this week? And, uh, you know, we're recording on a Wednesday today just because Dave was hanging out with his fish friends. And but we'll be back on track next week, getting him out on Monday nights. Right. Yes, sir. Let me, let me and, look at uh, my calendar and make sure, but I, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're on. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, it's been fun. I mean, we've learned a lot. It's, we've had some great conversations, some great guests and, you know, like you and I said, when we started this whole thing, you know, I get to talk to my buddy for an hour a week of just about music, which I would do anyway. I, I would know. love to do anyway. Yeah. And uh, that we get to share it with people. It's, it's really cool. It is cool. Send us your, uh, your thoughts, send us your thought, thought. I mean, we've asked some questions during the show. So obviously if you have any, any thoughts on those, please send them. But but tell us about, you know, what you've learned watching your favorite band. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Good show, Dave. Good show, Paul. Thanks, man. See you next week. Take it easy.